In the great halls of USA Today, we assemble the newsroom's mightiest nerds, Brett Molina. I'm so sorry for the producer of this podcast. <laughs> Kelly Lawler. I will fight you on it. Brian Truitt. Spoiler town! <laughs> Together, they form The Mothership. Their mission? To harness their collective encyclopedic knowledge of nerdiness in all its forms. To dissect every trailer, plot twist, and game released for the geekiest of fans. The Mothership. Saving the universe from bad comic book adaptations every Friday. All aboard the Mothership, the Geek Culture Podcast from the USA Today Network. Thank you so much for joining us, and happy Friday. Um, it's a one-man crew this week, so let's get to it. I'm Brett Molina. I play video games. And what's getting me through this week has been Mario Kart Live Home Circuit. Um, it's Mario Kart. The biggest and probably coolest difference with this game, though, is you are playing it using your living room or whatever space in your home is as the track. So it's augmented reality. Basically what you do is you have this physical go-kart that you pair with a Nintendo Switch. Uh, the cart has a camera on it. And so basically you are driving with a view of Mario in the seat, but you're seeing whatever he's seeing on the ground, which is usually your floor. So you have different gates that are made of cardboard that you set up to create your track. And then you'll do a test run around your track and then you actually start racing. So it's basically Mario Kart, but literally in your living room. Um, it's really cool. It's, it's really fun watching on TV as you're driving through your house and like, that's the Mario Kart track. Um, it's really wild. I learned that I really need to clean under my couch more because, um, that's one of the cool things about the car is you can, you know, send it at so many different places. And so I would send it under furniture, uh, up and down things. I would, I even created like this small little ramp out of a cardboard box and that was really fun too. So, it takes Mario Kart, which is already a really fun game, and makes it even more exciting and more imaginative, which I was really impressed by. It's a little pricier than um, most video games. It's $100, but it comes with the actual car and everything you need to set up. But it's been so much fun. I've been hooked on like figuring out new tracks. It's really worth it. Um, if you have a Switch, I think it's worth your time. Um, let's get to the show. If this is your first time listening to us, welcome. Uh, new episodes of The Mothership drop every Friday. And you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you like to listen. While you are on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you could write a quick review about the show. Uh, you not only help other fans who love nerdy pop culture find us. As a bonus, we give you a very special shout out on the next episode. So try it out. Tell us what you want to see from the show going forward. Tell us good stuff, bad stuff, whatever. We will give you a shout out on the next episode. We all win here. Uh, don't forget, along with leaving a review, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at Mothership Pod. Or you can send an email to mothershippod at usatoday.com. Let's get to the main topic this week. Here's a clip. Americans love stories. This story ends with a climax in space. Astronauts. Nobody has ever seen anything like you men until now. Few things live forever in the soul of a country. You're heroes. That was from The Right Stuff, a TV series that premiered this month on Disney+. Plus. It focuses on the U.S. space program. And of course, 
to help maintain the historical accuracy and just the specific details of what it's like to work on a spaceship and do all those different things involved with being in space, you need a lot of tech experts, which is who we have as a guest today, uh, Robert Yoel, who is a 30-year veteran of the United States space program. Um, He actually worked as a flight controller with the space shuttle. And he has also worked as a tech consultant on The Right Stuff, as well as other pop culture, including Ad Astra, starring Brad Pitt. Um, Thanks so much for joining us. It's really great to have you. Thank you. So let me start here because this is a question that we ask a lot of our guests on this podcast. Um, How have you been doing during this quarantine? Well, thankfully, uh, my wife and I have been doing great. Uh, I uh, still am employed by the uh, the Air Force. I uh, actually go into my office a few times a week simply because I have to. There's uh, much of my work can't can't be done remotely. Uh, but that being said, uh, my workplace takes absolutely every precaution uh, necessary. So I know that you're you play the role of a tech consultant, and you're you're working on the the right stuff now for uh, Disney. Um, what does it mean to work as a tech consultant? What is it that that you do to to help um, you know make the right stuff feel accurate and, and work for the audience? Well, in my in my case, uh, at least on this series, it started even at the writer's room in the very beginning um, when the episodes were first being conceived and uh, answering questions that they may have about uh, all kinds of technical aspects of uh, the astronauts, the spacecraft, the rockets, uh, you know, details that you see in these episodes where, uh, for instance, when uh, the character of Chris Kraft is uh, describing the amount of fuel in the rocket and, those exact numbers actually came from me when I was answering questions of the writers. But beyond that, when we get into production, I was on set for various scenes that involved uh, uh, the launch pad, the uh, blockhouse, the control center, ensuring that the actors, uh, you know, were, were portrayed in accurate fashion, what people in those places would have been doing, what it would have looked like. And, uh, and of course, before those sets were created, I worked with the set designers and the, and the wardrobe folks. And so all these people from soup to nuts, ending with the director and the actors, uh, were, were receiving my advice at various times. As a tech consultant that has so much experience with the space program, what's like the most common question or um, topic that you discuss within that, that, that comes up a lot um, as you're consulting? Well, it depends on the scene uh, we're talking about. I wouldn't say there's one common question, but it, in general, when we're like in a cockpit of a spacecraft, uh, the question is, okay, what should I be touching here? What buttons should I be pressing? What should I be looking at? In the case of the control center uh, scenes that we did, it's what would the uh, flight controllers be looking at? What would they have in front of them? So those are common things that uh, came up even back when I was working on, on feature films uh, related to the space program. It's, it, it's, a, it's a lot of... Uh, making sure that what you see on the screen is believable in, in the case of the actors. 
So in the case of The Right Stuff, it looks back at the start of the U.S. space program. Um, what do you remember most from that time in history? Well, I was born in 1967, so I was not <laughs> alive during the Mercury program. Uh, but I could tell you my earliest, most vivid memory at the age of four is watching the Apollo 15 mission on the moon. And uh, that happened to be the most televised mission up to that point simply because they had the luxury of a uh, the tv camera that could be controlled from the ground uh, attached to that rover that they drove around so at a very young age i was already mesmerized by this whole thing and uh, and i kind of knew that's the track i wanted to take in my career and uh, at the age of 22 i was hired by nasa so you got to work in Houston as a flight controller with the shuttle program. I mean, that, that sounds like an incredible experience. What was that like working with the space shuttle? Well, I was very fortunate to be there, in fact, uh, between the two accidents. So, you know, you could say that between the Challenger and Columbia accident, it was, if you will, the, the golden age of the shuttle program. Uh, I got to see the first repair of the Hubble telescope from right there in mission control. And uh, uh, it was history. And, and to, to be surrounded by history is, is amazing. You don't, you don't necessarily think at the time it's history because it's just you're doing your job. But, um, you know, all of us who worked in that, in that job in the control center and mission operations, we all had, if you will, the right stuff of flight control. I mean, we... We all had to pass through lots of training and certification and uh, uh, before you're allowed to sit there. And um, I'd say for me, the most exciting point was when I was working actually on launch from that position. Um, certainly a very dynamic period um, of the flight, and it's one that we train for the most because obviously uh, it's a period in which things can go wrong. And uh, uh, a few times in that in that uh, role, I had to react when things went wrong. They weren't, uh, you know, catastrophic things, thankfully, but it was things that we trained for and we saw in simulations. So we knew exactly how to react. And, uh, you know, you've seen the movie Apollo 13. It, it very well, you know, expands on that uh, uh, aspect of the job. So, you know, I, it feels like a lot of times when you see shuttle launches and you go to the control room, it's the elation a lot of times that you see when, you know, a shuttle takes off or it lands or there's a, a key moment. But, you know, just being in the seat yourself, I mean, how stressful was it during that time? Because it feels like that's a lot of pressure to put on people to just, you know, make sure these missions are going well, but also just to make sure everybody's safe throughout this whole, for throughout everything. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, before you're allowed to sit in that seat, you go through literally hundreds of hours of simulations of those launches and landings. And in those simulations, you're thrown all kinds of failures, some of them more believable than others, but all of them certainly possible, if not likely necessarily. But because of that training, you're not necessarily highly stressed. You're certainly you know, on your game day, very, very uh, aware and, and uh, you know, rapidly uh, uh, reacting to things if you have to. But you talked about elation. I mean, 
Um, I think a lot of folks have seen these videos of JPL when, you know, Rover has landed on Mars, everyone's going up and, and yelling and screaming. Uh, we, we weren't doing that necessarily in Houston. Uh, that, that wasn't a common thing at all. Uh, in fact, very few of us had a TV screen to look at uh, as far as video of the launch. You, you, you really weren't supposed to be looking at video of the launch. You're supposed to be looking at your data. And, and whatever your particular area of expertise was, that was your focus. Uh, so certainly inside we had relation uh, during launches when we knew that uh, they, had, they had gotten off the external tank and they're in orbit. But uh, um, it was never routine, I'll tell you that, even after doing a few dozen of them. Have you ever had the experience of sitting in the shuttle? Yes. In fact, uh, I sat inside the Columbia uh, in 1990. There was a mission, uh, STS-35, that was supposed to have launched in May of that year. And uh, during uh, one of the pre-launch fuel tanking uh, timeframes, they detected a leak in the uh, main engine compartment. And in order to investigate that leak, they had to prepare the shuttle to be rolled back. So before it was rolled back, I happened to be at the Cape that week and uh, got the opportunity to not only sit in the cockpit, actually uh, payload bay doors were open and uh, I was in what was called the payload changeout room, which is the large structure. It used to rotate around and swing around and cover the cargo bay. And literally standing about, I don't know, it was maybe 10 feet or so away from the payload bay in that room was pretty amazing. But sitting inside uh, in the shuttle cockpit when it's vertical is, is an interesting uh, um, uh, experience, to say the least. Uh, you, you get an appreciation for how uh, confined the area is and uh, how much your body has to adapt quickly to that mode, uh, at least temporarily. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, we've heard a lot of things about space travel and, and some of what astronauts go through, but, you know, what would, what's something like a fun fact or a tidbit about working with the space shuttle that maybe people don't really know as much about? Well, I mentioned uh, the training um, for the flight controllers. Well, one of the training uh, facilities that uh, was right near where we would train getting familiar with the cockpit of the shuttle, it was a specialized facility just to learn how to use the toilet on the space shuttle. (laughs) And uh, what that involved, believe it or not, was a camera positioned at the very bottom of the bowl, if you will. And uh, as you um, positioned yourself over on the seat, you were looking straight ahead at a monitor from uh, the video signal of that camera at the bottom showing uh, your posterior and whether or not you were aimed properly. (laughs) Wow. Because as you can imagine in zero gravity, if uh, your your aim isn't right, you're in trouble. And uh, every, everything floats in space is all I got to tell you. So, uh, so that was a very, that was a very important piece of training for the uh, shuttle astronauts. I am suddenly grateful that I I use the bathroom on land with gravity. So it makes me feel way better. (laughs) 
So, um, you know, recently we've seen a lot more private companies get involved in space travel. You know, SpaceX is the first uh, company that jumps to mind. Um, what are your thoughts about the privatization of, of space travel um, that, that's, that we've seen in recent years? It's wonderful. And I think it's, uh, it's about time that this occurred, really, because thankfully, at, at this point, you know, some 60 years after Alan Shepard's flight, Earth orbital flight has become much more accessible than it ever was. I'm not going to say the word routine quite yet, but it's certainly more routine than it was even in the shuttle era. So that is very much in part thanks to the, the rapid commercialization and privatization that you're seeing now. And what that allows is NASA as an agency to take on more of the cutting edge aspects of space flight with taxpayers' money that a private company wouldn't otherwise do. And, and that's a very important role for NASA, and it will continue to be. But without this, this privatization, you would still have NASA expending much more funds on the, the, the low Earth orbit aspect of space flight, while they, they should have been concentrating on lunar and Mars exploration, which really is our next, uh, our next goal in human space flight. You've also you know, worked on a couple other movies as well. Ad Astra uh, is another one that jumps out um, with Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones. Did you get a chance to work with them a lot during that film? And if so, what was that like? It was wonderful. Uh, didn't didn't really work so much with Tom Lee Jones, but I did work with Brad Pitt on uh, particular scenes. I'll give you one example. Uh, if you recall in the film, he's uh, uh, having to take over control of the uh, the ship as it's landing on the Mars surface, uh, and that whole scene. I pretty much was there on set to help choreograph from the point at which uh, the uh, the pilot in the left seat gets panicked, and uh, and then Brad Pitt's character has to take over. And well, like I said earlier, the the question from the actors is always, "Okay, what do I do? What should I be pressing?" And if you watch that scene, you'll see if you're familiar with how the space shuttles onboard computers were operated and, and uh, the, the keypad used for that, you will recognize that in that scene. And what I did is I suggested to the director and the actor as well, do an item 32 execute and then take manual control. And then uh, when you're on the, on the surface, say engine, engine disarmed, engine stop, engine safed, th that kind of lingo. So, so that was one scene uh, directly working with Brad, uh, and I think it looks really great uh, on screen and quite believable. So we've seen, um, you know, space exploration is a key theme in a lot of movies and in a lot of pop culture. Do you have a favorite movie or TV show that's focused on outer space? Well, certainly it's it has to be 2001: A Space Odyssey. I mean, that is the gold standard and probably will be forever i think uh for for science fiction for for the magic and wonder of space exploration uh you know given the fact that it was 50 years ago and uh there was no cgi back then it's even more amazing what stanley kubrick and, and douglas trumbull achieved in that film uh because 
it, it obviously still stands up to today in, in that in that perspective. So one last question before we, uh, I let you go. Um, you know, what is it about space and outer space in, 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 that makes it such a fascinating topic for a movie or a TV show? Well, I think today it's what the uh, the films of the Wild West once were, the films uh, that talked about the uh, the sailing ship uh, adventures of Sir Francis Drake or or Columbus. Uh, it is it is the next frontier. It's it's the excitement of it and um, the fact that it's becoming so much more accessible to the public than it ever was before. It, it will not be too far off that. Uh, there will be paying passengers flying into Earth orbit. There will be hotels in Earth orbit. Uh, so what movies and television ha- is, have done and, and are continuing to do in the future is just making that, um, that setting all the more familiar to people. So that's how I see it today. I mean, it's, it's just the same as making movies about the old west and the frontiers and you know 50 years ago uh i think the space movies today are what those were back then well uh thank you so much for joining us it was great having you and um best of luck with the right stuff and also uh everything you have going on with your career thank you so much my pleasure okay listeners it's your turn have you gotten a chance to watch the right stuff what are your favorite movies or tv shows that involve outer space uh let's talk about it on twitter uh, you can find us at Mothership Pod, or you can tweet at me directly at BrettMolina23. Don't forget, you can also email us, too. We're at MothershipPod at USAToday.com. Uh, we'll wrap it up here. Thanks so much for listening. Special thanks to our pilot slash producer of The Mothership this week, Natalie Boyd. If you like the podcast and don't want to miss an episode moving forward, you can subscribe to The Mothership for free on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a rating or a review. Uh, it helps other people find the show, and we get some really great feedback. If Apple Podcasts isn't your jam, you can also find us on Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, you'll find us. So until next week, nerds out.